in connection with the question, what do we know about the truthfulness of God from the Bible, we have been considering a number of objections that have been raised against the truthfulness and consistency of the Bible. We were in process of concluding our discussion of the seventh objection, which is substantially as follows. If salvation is all of God, and God reveals it to be His will through the Bible that all should be saved, then why does not God cause all to be saved, since it is within His sovereignty and power to save all upon this supposition? Here we have three inconsistent propositions. They cannot all exist together. Beginning with the obvious results, we note that all are not being saved. This should certainly not be challenged by anyone. When we consider the extensiveness of evil in the world and the difficulty of promoting holiness and reconciliation to God, certainly it should be evident on every hand of the great common uh, evil force at hand in the world and that the great majority of men are not being reconciled to God. If this be so, God's will is not being done on the earth as it is in heaven, as Jesus prayed. But if not being done on the earth, it must only be that God is not able to bring it to pass. It is not within our providence here to inquire as to how the great omnipotent God became limited, but only to say that it must have been a voluntary limitation. We cannot conceive of God being forced into any limitation. When we consider His impossible proportions as far as our considerations are concerned, and the smallness of man taken altogether, certainly no force could coerce God into any kind of a limitation. It must have been simply this, then. To create man in his own image involved a bestowing upon such creatures a limited domain of sovereignty. Apart from this freedom of will, man would be a mere machine and not the man that God so tenderly formed out of the dust of the ground. We have abundantly seen from the Bible that salvation is not all of God, but is a cooperative enterprise. Thus the objection vanishes and the truthfulness of the Bible is again vindicated. The Bible sets forth a threefold agency in man's salvation, as we have discussed, or that there are involved the threefold voluntary activities of moral beings. First, and of course foremost, the Holy Spirit is active in the enlightening of men on the truth and of persuading them in the direction of embracing it and in applying the atonement of Christ to the renewing of the heart. The Holy Spirit is enlightening everyone who comes into the world, as John told us. He takes the evidences of nature all about man and prompts man to consider the existence and personality and greatness of God. And above all, our Lord Jesus in the third chapter of John affirmed that except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. So certainly 
the Holy Spirit is active in regeneration. But secondly, the person being saved must repent or turn from sin to God in proper penitence and brokenness. Man is not a machine and therefore cannot be forced or compelled to embrace salvation. If any man will, said Jesus. And so we considered the firm message of the New Testament and of the whole Word of God, in fact, that men must turn to Him if they are going to be saved. The Apostle Paul went forth with God's message, commanding all men everywhere to repent, and that God sent him forth to turn men from darkness to light, and from the power of Satan unto God, and so forth. And so in the fifth chapter of Ephesians, as we have, have quoted, the Apostle affirmed in most emphatic language the agency of man in these words, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. So man has the ability to respond to the grace of God or to reject the grace of God, and thus his agency cannot be overlooked in the salvation of the soul. Then thirdly, the servants of Christ who go forth in the constraining love of Christ are free as an agent in applying the gospel that as he takes measures of helpfulness, prayer, and persuasion, he is actually said to, to give spiritual birth to such a subject of his concern. His activity is so like that of the Holy Spirit that the same verb, to beget, is used of both agents in the same climactic tense. An astonishing thing, is it not? For example, we called attention to the fourth chapter of 1 Corinthians, where in verse 15 the apostle wrote, For though ye have ten thousand instructors in Christ, yet have ye not many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. Similarly, in Philemon chapter 10, the apostle wrote, I beseech thee for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my bonds. And so we see that as the servants of Christ go forth with the blessed word of God and select individuals upon whom to bestow their sincere and prayerful labor, that they are active agents in bringing souls to salvation. But in addition to the three agents involved, we have seen that there is an instrument which all use, the word of God, the Bible, the Bible is a tool, a worthy and sacred tool, but still a tool. Preach the word, wrote the Apostle Paul to Timothy. And we have read in James chapter 1 and verse 18, Of his own will begat he us with the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. And in 1 Peter 1.23, Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. So the word of God is a living instrument in the hands of the Holy Spirit and in the hands of God's sincere servants to bring about the regeneration or the new birth of a soul. So man is able to respond to the truth of the living word of God. Now Satan indeed promised Adam and Eve that they would be as gods, knowing good and evil. As we read in Genesis 3, 5, 
they learn just this, and all mankind after them. Now the kind but firm admonition from God is, Choose you this day whom ye will serve, as you read in Joshua 24, 15, and also as in Jeremiah 29, 13, Ye shall seek me and find me, when ye shall search for me with all your heart. This view not only removes objections, but multiplies our evaluation of the great God. So above blame are all of God's operations that he could ask through Isaiah, What could have been done more to my vineyard that I have not done in it? As in chapter 5, verse 4. What a pathetic inquiry this was. The prophet Micah spoke of the controversy that God had with men and also quoted God as asking, O my people, what have I done unto thee? And wherein have I wearied thee? Testify against me. Our Lord Jesus could lay out his life before all in the words, Which of you convinceth me of sin? As in John 8:46, And no one dared to accuse him of any sin. We can say with confidence that everything within and without our beings that seems unlike God is unlike God. God had no agency in them, and he has not lacked any agency to remove these evil traces in our activity. It is man's responsibility and doings. We can join with Moses of old in addressing ourselves and all others in the world in behalf of God, as we read in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 11 to 20. For this commandment which I command thee this day, it is not hidden from thee, neither is it far off. It is not in heaven that thou shouldst say who shall go up for us to heaven and bring it unto us, that we may hear it and do it, neither is it beyond the sea that thou shouldst say who shall go over the sea for us and bring it unto us, that we may hear it and do it. But the word is very nigh unto thee, in thy mouth and in thy heart, and that thou mayest do it. This is a testimony of the great evidences that God has placed all about us. And certainly it is within our reach to seek after the face of God. And when the precious gospel comes forth, that God is willing to be reconciled to us, not only to forgive our sins, but to restore us to his loving, tender favor. Oh, how great is our responsibility. Moses wrote, See, I have set before thee this day life and good and death and evil. Here are the two pathways. In that I command thee this day to love the Lord thy God, to walk in his ways, and to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments, that thou mayest live and multiply. And the Lord thy God shall bless thee in the land whither thou goest to possess it. How wonderful is such a pathway in reconciliation to God. But if thine heart turn away, so that thou wilt not hear, but shall be drawn away, and worship other gods, and serve them, I denounce unto you this day, that ye shall surely perish, and that ye shall not prolong your days upon the land, whither thou passest over Jordan to possess it. I call heaven and earth to record this day against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore choose life, that both thou and thy seed may live. 
that thou mayest love the Lord thy God, and that thou mayest obey his voice, and that thou mayest cleave unto him, for he is thy life and the length of thy days, that thou mayest dwell in the land with the Lord swear unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give them. And so we see that all men have a part in their salvation and may accept and cooperate with the goodness of God which is leading men to repentance or may reject God's overtures of mercy and say with the indiscreet men of old, cause the Holy One of Israel to cease from before us. May none do that this day in Jesus' name. Our Heavenly Father, how we thank Thee for Thy precious Word that Thou hast set before us life and death. How we thank Thee for the invitation to be reconciled to Thee. And now we pray that many may awake out of their lethargy, come to Thee, our great God, in repentance, be led into faith in the Lord Jesus Christ who died for the sins of the whole world, be reconciled to Thee, and live in Thy presence now and forever. In Jesus' name, amen.